evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, again, we welcome you. It is good to have you with us. If you would be, open your Bibles to Ephesians, the second chapter, as we continue our series through Ephesians. In your pew Bible, the Bible that's in your pew rack there, if you want to use that, it's 1,038. Uh, we will have slides tonight, but the scriptures themselves will not be on the slides as they are sometimes, so you may want to be sure and open your Bible. Uh, we'll be following right along through the end of Ephesians, the second chapter. So take a Bible there. It's 1,038, or Ephesians, the second chapter in your Bible. Let's do remember uh, to uh, be prayerful, as we already have been. Let's continue to be prayerful for those families that are grieving right now. Uh, let's be supportive and let's help them in every way that we can. Uh, be mindful also of the opportunity that we have to sign up for the Bibles, for the one-year Bibles. Be sure to make your plans to be a daily Bible reader throughout 2008. Uh, also, remember, we're placing an emphasis on prayer. We want to do that all the time. There are still prayer requests out. Uh, pick up another one this week and, and be prayerful all week of the concerns that our brothers and sisters in Christ have asked us to pray about and men be looking forward to this weekend, Friday evening, uh, for the elders and deacons and, and ministers and then also Saturday for all men as we have a guest speaker coming in and will challenge us in our responsibility to lead. God gives us many wonderful opportunities. Let's make sure that we do the best that we can in those and give God all the glory. When we think about the book of Ephesians, we think about the heritage and the life in Christ. And we've been looking at this, especially from the aspect of the first half of the book, seems to speak a whole lot about our heritage. If we live our life in Christ, there are things that we receive as tremendous rewards and gifts, if you will. It's a type of heritage. And in that inheritance, we see that a part of it tonight will be the church. Now, later on in this series, we'll look at the last half of the book of Ephesians. In that, we find the life that we live if we're living our life in Christ. In other words, what does a life look like if that life is lived in Christ? But tonight we'll go back to that of the heritage. What is it whenever, if, if we are living our life according to the Lord's blueprint of being a part of Him in Christ, we ask ourselves a few questions. Would that include a church? Now, before you quickly dismiss that and say, well, of course the church is important, keep in mind, there are thousands, if not millions of people across America tonight, if you ask them, do you believe in Jesus Christ, their answer would be yes. Do you believe that you ought to be a part of the Lord's church? They would say, no. I don't like religion. I don't want anything to do with the church. I just want to be faithful to Jesus. Friends, tonight as we consider a blueprint that the Lord has given, and you'll see there on the screen a, a blueprint of a house. I have before you here, not that we'll examine each page carefully, but I have for you the blueprint that was used just a little over 10 years ago as uh, this particular building that you are setting in was constructed. Now I want you to imagine as, as this building was constructed, what if the contractor took these plans and he began handing them out to various subcontractors except he handed these plans out to some of the subcontractors and then he just happened to be building a Sonic also and he handed out some plans about a Sonic and he was also building a mall and to some other subcontractors he handed out some plans for a mall 
what would we have if we had three or four sets of plans with subcontractors coming to this one location to build? Can you imagine? Well, immediately you say it wouldn't work. It'd be obvious that, that something was wrong and, and we would never have the design that, that was God's design or was the original contractor's design. And we see the same thing when we think about the church. We look around and we say, are there churches? Yes, there are many churches. There are hundreds of churches. Where did they come from? Did those churches come from individuals following God's blueprint? We ask the question, what church do we want to be a part of? Friends, we see clearly in the scriptures that the Lord has a plan. The Lord has a blueprint. And we have to decide if we're going to follow the Lord's blueprint and be a part of His church, or if we're going to come out here and design our own version of Christianity, our own version of the church. As we think about this, I'd like for us to see three paragraphs, which is the last half of Ephesians, the second chapter. And there are many other aspects of the Lord's church that we could study tonight, but tonight we're going through Ephesians. So let's look at the characteristics of the blueprint of the Lord's church as it is found in the last half of the book of Ephesians. The first thing that he would make very clear in Ephesians, the second chapter, beginning 11, 12, and 13, is that the church is one. Now, he especially is going to address the fact that there were Gentiles becoming a part of the Lord's church as well as Jews. Keep in mind, there was a huge division between the Jew and the Gentile, especially in that day and time. And so with that in mind, read along with me the 11th chapter, Ephesians the second chapter, the 11th verse, 11, 12, and 13. He says, Therefore remember that you once Gentile, that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'd like for you to notice on the bullets there, the third bullet says that there's one body of members. The point that he's making here in these three verses rings very clearly and very loudly as he says, I did not start, the Lord here, I did not start a Gentile church and a Jewish church. And friends, that was hard for the church to overcome in that day. It would have been much more comfortable if he would have allowed them to have a Jewish church and a Gentile church because the, the prejudice and the strife between the two was so high, it was so thick, and it had been in place for so many, many, many years that it would have been so much easier if the Lord would have said, I don't ever expect you two groups to come together. You just have your own church Gentiles and you have your own church Jews. And from the beginning, it wasn't so. As a matter of fact, that lays out a plan for us when we stop and say, okay, if there was one body, why is it one body? Well, it's one body. The church is one body because there's one creator of Christians that are added to that church. Now, you remember several weeks ago when we had some outstanding preaching here on a Sunday night. 
we had two young men to preach to us from Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 10. Colton and Matt, their entire text was this in Ephesians. And that's why we're skipping over that tonight. That's what they covered. But I would like to use it as a sub-point tonight for that very first bullet there. One creator of members. How did you and I become members of the Lord's church? Scan back with me again here in Ephesians, the second chapter, as we think back what was said a few weeks ago. Did you remember there in Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3 that we were dead in our trespasses of sin and that we, we once walked according to the world and we once were fulfilling the desires of the flesh, but something has changed. God in verse 4 and 5 used His tools of rich mercy, great love, and in verse 5 at the very end, His saving grace. Now, he took those that were dead in the trespasses of sin. He used his tools of mercy, love, and grace. And what did God, Jesus Christ, produce? Notice again verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Notice, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you carry the, the trademark of Jesus Christ? Can people look at you and say, Oh, yeah, you're made by Jesus. You're a creation of Jesus. Now, if you know me very well, you know that, that clothes has really never been my thing. And so if you hear this and think that's the case, I'm just letting you know you've read me wrong. But I have tried on a few suits in my day. And I can tell you this. You can try on a suit, and if it's an Italian brand... It's fitted. And you can try on the next suit, just be there, and, and you, know how they'll, you know how they'll have the coat, and they'll hold it out, and you put your arms through, and they'll drop it on your shoulders there. Well, right when it drops on my shoulders, I can tell you if it's an Italian cut. You can drop that same size, the size, on my shoulders, and I can tell you if it's a Tommy Hilfiger. It'll cover you up. It's huge. And what's the point? The point is, you can tell who made it just by what it is. You don't have to look in every lapel. You can tell. Tomorrow at work or at school, can people tell who made you? Oh, they can. Now here's the question. Are you fooling yourself? If Christ created you, people can tell that Christ created you. The question is, do I know whether or not I've been created by the world or whether or not I've been created by Christ? It's amazing how many folks think they've been created by Christ, but everybody at their workplace thinks that they've been created by the world. All of their neighbors think they're just like their neighbors. All of their friends think they're just like them, and their friends are out in the middle of the world. Friends, what do we look like? Who has created us? Now think about this. We're studying this, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, saying we are to be created in Christ Jesus. Now if we have been created in Christ Jesus, what does that do in relation to the church? There's one creator of our spirituality, and that one creator has only created one body. Now, as we look at that middle point there, that means that in the church we only have one head. A couple of passages that we can look at in this. Look in the fourth chapter in verse 3 if you have your Bible open there. Notice he says there is one body. 
So if there's one body, there must be one head. And when we go over to the fifth chapter of Ephesians, the fifth chapter in verse 23, he says, For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And so we have one creator of all those that will be taken out of the world and they will be carved in the image of Jesus Christ and added to his one body and that one body has one head. What's the point here? I beg you to keep in mind the emphasis that Paul's placing on this. Not the emphasis we're placing. The emphasis Paul is placing on this is say, see, you can't have a Jewish church, you can't have a Gentile church. You have to be one church because you have one creator, one head, and one body. Friends, now we'll begin this application and carry it throughout just a little bit. That's true whether we're thinking about the church. There's not a U.S. church and a Ukrainian church and El Salvadorian church. There's one church. And that's so easy to agree with, but now let's let it hit a little bit closer to home. If you look across the auditorium and you see someone and you say, oh, I can't stand them. The question is, which one of you are part of the one church? You can't both be right in the sight of God. There's only one church and there's no your version and their version and I hate them and they hate me but we're all right with Jesus. No, you're not. You can't hate your brother and be unified in the church. And we'll get to that, but just think about that. That's, that is really the big point with the Jews and the Gentiles. Friends, I don't think it's too strong to say that many of them hated each other. And that's the whole point. The Lord is saying, I'm not going to allow you to start another church just because you hate the other one. All right, well, let's go over to the second point and notice how, now keep in mind, they had a lot of strife between them. So in the next paragraph, he emphasizes peace. The church is to be a peaceful place. Now keep in mind, I can hold the blueprint up again. If we're following the Lord's blueprint, the Lord's blueprint is that the church is a peaceful place. Now there's a lot of congregations, a lot of churches that don't follow the Lord's blueprint. But the Lord's blueprint is as peaceful. Let's look at verse 14 as we think about the peace here. We're still in Ephesians 2. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. See, he made the Jew and the Gentile both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. We have a comma there. Let's pause for just a moment. So he's making the point very clear that Christ has made one peaceful body out of two groups of individuals that literally despised each other. They treated each other horribly, but notice this was before they become Christians. Once they were carved out into the image of Jesus Christ, they were to stop treating each other horribly. They were to stop having that wall of petition. Jesus died to tear down that wall of petition. He's saying, now you're going to come together. And using symbolism here, now you're going to come under one roof. Now you're going to love each other. Now you're going to have a peaceful existence. But notice... The reason that can happen is because he gives a peaceful law between the two. Look at verse 15 as we continue this long sentence. In 15 he says, having abolished in his flesh, this is Jesus, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself, 
Now notice, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. You see the emphasis? So now he talks about the new law. Under the old law, the Hebrews, the Jews, were the chosen of God. Under the new law, he says, I've done away with that ordinance. Now there's no longer that friction between the two. And he says, I've done it because I want to create peace among you. And again, he refers to making the two one. That's the beauty of the new covenant. In the new covenant, we do not have a choice in the matter of of saying, well, I, I just don't like that individual. Well, I'm just not drawn to that individual. If you will, look with me back in deeper into your Bible. I'd like to read two passages. James, the second chapter. In James, the second chapter, he relates about the faith of Jesus Christ. James, the second chapter, and, and if we were to read this whole paragraph, this is the paragraph where he's talking about a rich man coming in and that congregation treating him well and a poor man coming in, and they just say, well, sit down on the footstool or stand in the back. But, but notice just verse 1 out of this. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. In other words, I can't say that I'm a child of God. I have the faith of Jesus Christ. But yet, I'm kind of partial against some people. Those Jews couldn't say, well, now I'm partial against the Gentile. The wealthy can't say, well, I'm partial against those that, that are poor. I don't really want them in our assembly. Friends, it may be easy for us to talk about this here in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, but I want to tell you something that we haven't figured out in a lot of congregations in a lot of communities. The Lord did not establish an inner city church and a church. Now we don't have to wrestle with that because we don't have an inner cities here in Mount Juliet. But there is something wrong with the mindset and you name any ethnic group, you name any class, any society, any social economic, The Lord did not start various churches. He looked to two of the groups that you and I would have said in the first century, you'll never be able to bring them into one organization. You'll never be able to bring them under one roof. And Jesus Christ said, yes, I will. I'm only starting one church. Now, the principle that we do have to bring home to us here, if you will flip over a little deeper in your Bible, look at 1 John. In 1 John, the fourth chapter, 1 John, the fourth chapter in verse 20. This goes back to the application that we were making just a few, few minutes ago. 1 John, the fourth chapter, verse 20 and 21. If someone says, and, and before I read this, let me pause for this moment. I hope that no one misunderstands. I am 1,000% in favor of our inner city ministry. I'm simply saying, what if we had an inner city sitting right next to us and we purposefully only drew to people that were not in the inner cities and then went next door and started another congregation and said, now this one we're going to call the inner cities and this one we're going to try to draw people to us. You can't back that up scripturally. That's exactly what the Lord was working against is the idea of putting classes in one congregation or putting groups in one congregation or trying to have various churches, if you will. All right, look here in 1 John, the fourth chapter, in verse 20 and 21, and let's bring it home to, to some things that would apply to all of us right here in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. 1 John, the fourth chapter, look at verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Friends, it is impossible to be a part of the Lord's one body and to be a part of a member of the one church and say, okay, there's somebody else that's a part of this one body and I hate them. God doesn't accept that. We speak of the church being unified. I need to remind myself I'm the church. Now you remind yourself you're the church and let's ask this question to ourselves tonight. Is the church unified? If you can look across at brothers and sisters in Christ and you don't like them and you hate them, the church you're a part of is not unified. And the Lord says, you can't say you hate your brother and you love me. Why, Lord? Because that goes against everything He created. He created one head for one body and that body is one because it's unified. It doesn't matter what the past has been. Those things have to be forgiven, whether it's Jew or Gentile, whether it's friend or enemy. If we're going to be a part of the one body, those things have to be resolved. They have to be dissolved, the enmity does. And we have to become one. Now, as we consider this, notice with me, as, as we look at the powerful offering in... Um, well, let's, let's go on to verse 16. Look at the offering that makes this, this possible for us. That he, again, continuing this same long sentence, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Now, that's how it happened, through the cross, thereby putting to death enmity. Now, notice, he was not going to reconcile the Gentile to the Jew. Now, it'd be easy to draw that conclusion, but friends, we have totally drawn the wrong conclusion. If you look carefully again, where was the reconciliation taking place? Notice it again, that he might reconcile them both to God. Now, you remember how the Jew wanted the reconciliation to take place. You remember the conference that took place in Acts, the 15th chapter? In Acts, the 15th chapter, you had that great conference, and it was about the circumcision of Moses. And you remember what the Jews wanted in order for a Gentile to become a Christian? They wanted the Gentile to first be reconciled to the Jew by the circumcision of Moses, and then, through their reconciliation, they then could be baptized into Christ and have a reconciliation to God. And that's what exactly in Acts the, the 14th or 15th chapter was being spoken against. In Acts the 15th chapter, Peter finally stood up in verse 7 and notice what he says in 8, 9, and 10. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledges them by giving them the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about knows the heart of the Gentiles. Just as he did to us. And, and remember, he's talking about there when the Holy Spirit was poured down upon Cornelius. Peter would know because Peter was there. And so he says, I saw it. The Holy Spirit was poured upon them. Now notice as he says in verse 9, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? 
they wanted to make a distinction. And they wanted to say that the reconciliation would come only by them first reconciling with Jews and then they all could reconcile with God. And he says, I tell you what, God didn't choose and say, well, the Jews are a little bit better. That's where Peter said he made no distinction at all. A Gentile can be reconciled to God the Father just as quickly as a Jew can be reconciled to God the Father. What's the point? He says back in our text in Ephesians, the second chapter and verse 16, it's all because of the cross. Friends, any time you and I try to put an extra step in for anyone else to be reconciled to the Father, we have created that same kind of division that he is speaking of here between the Jew and the Gentile. We need to make sure that we go back to Christ and Christ only. Now, let's look at a third thing as we start bringing this to a close. Look at the, the description of the church. Now, we're going to read 19, 20, 21, 22, and there's many things we could say, but we'll just highlight some things here. As we do this, to be fair to the text, he speaks of the church in one sense of being a kingdom. It's a citizenship. No more foreigners or strangers, but now we can be part of the kingdom. But in this particular lesson, because of the uh, 21 and 22, we're going to concentrate on another analogy he gives, and this analogy is a family becoming a part of the household of God. So as we read 19 and 20, notice here as we see this household being described in 19. Now... Therefore, we're in Ephesians 2. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. So that's the analogy of the kingdom. Now, notice this last phrase. And members of the household of God. Pause there for just a moment. The Lord wants us to be members of His house. Someone says, I don't think it's important to be a part of the church. The Lord did. He said, I want you to be members of my church, the house of God. But now notice as we read about this foundation in verse 20. The foundation having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Remember, Jesus said, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that rock was the confession that Jesus Christ was the son of the living God. He was the chief cornerstone. Do you remember in Acts, the second chapter, who was there at the beginning of the church? Remember, it was the apostles. What did they continue in? In Acts 2 and 42, the church continued daily in the apostles' doctrine. Friends, when you and I go back to the teachings of Jesus and of the apostles, we have gone back to a blueprint where the foundation is Jesus and the apostles. Of course, the prophets prophesied about that even out of the Old Testament. But now notice this third uh, point here under this. Let's look at what this structure is to do. In 21 and 22, we see that we're wanting to build the house of God, and it's got to be on the foundation of Jesus and the apostles. Look at 21. In whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, I tried to emphasize the times there of togetherness. Why is that important to this study? Because he's talking to two groups that usually didn't like each other. Friends, this is a passage where he's saying, let's go back to that Jew and Gentile thing again. If you're going to be a Christian, you're going to learn to grow together. You're going to be fitted together. 
You're going to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the apostles and you're going to work and you're going to serve together. That's what the fourth chapter in verse 16 teaches, that each one is going to do his part and you're going to grow together into the image of Jesus Christ, which is what the fourth chapter in verse 15 teaches. Notice what we're wanting to do in 22. At the end of 22, as we're built together, it's for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Who's the church? It's us if we're Christians. What are we supposed to build together? A place for the Lord to dwell. Wait a minute, who is God? Remember John taught us that God is love. If we're going to build a place where God's going to dwell, we're going to have to have a place of love. Practices agape for everybody. Friends, when we think about a blueprint that the Lord gives us in Ephesians, there's one church. And it's peaceful because that's the law He gave. He died so that we could have peace with each other. And it's a place where God can dwell. God doesn't dwell where there's strife and hatred. He dwells where there's love. And tonight I need to ask myself, am I following that blueprint? What a blessing it is when we do. It blesses our life and it blesses the church life. And you know, any of us that have been in congregations where there's strife and then we've been in congregations where there is unity, that oneness that is found on the love of Jesus, where each individual realizes they are a part of that unity, they have to decide if they want that unity. When we have been in congregations that have been either one way or the other, we all know that what the greater blessing is is to be in one that's unified. What a peace that brings. And that peace is by design. It's a part of the blueprint. It's a part of the design. Tonight, are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ? If not, let's follow the blueprint. If we can help you in any way, if you are not a Christian, if if you want to be baptized into Christ, we would love to see you do that tonight as a believer, repenting of sins, confessing before me and being baptized into Christ. Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way, there's been something that that has separated you from following that blueprint. And tonight you want to come back and you want to make things right. You want to repent. You want to confess and and you want to submit your life wholly to that blueprint. Isn't it wonderful? We don't have to guess how to live. We don't have to guess what's right. The Lord just lays it out for us. That's a blessing. But it also is a challenge. Am I following that blueprint? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.